Today's episode is sponsored by Expectful, a guided meditation and mindfulness app for your fertility, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. It's easy and fun to use as well as affordable. And did you know that science shows meditation can reduce anxiety and improve your relationships? Head to expectful.com slash motherbirth for an exclusive one month free trial just for motherbirth listeners. But this time, nobody knew. And so the last thing I said was, please save my baby, you know, and I was out and I did not know if he was going to make it. We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Motherbirth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everybody, welcome to Motherbirth today. We are interviewing a special guest today named Desiree Hartwell. Desiree has, I believe, is it three children, Desiree? Two. Two. Okay, so we're going to hear the story of how her two children came into the world and there's Lots of lots of juicy details in this story. So Desiree, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and then we can start with how your motherhood journey began. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, so my name's Desiree. I go by Des uh, pretty much everywhere except for my mom. My mom calls me Desiree. Um, I am from Texas. I uh, grew up in Texas my whole life until about six years ago, I uh, met the love of my life and moved to Roseville, California. So my partner and I now live uh, in the Sacramento area in California, and we have two amazing little boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been married since 2011. Um, uh, we have Jackson, who is uh, two and a half, three and a half months old, and Avery, who is, he just turned two in November. So we have our hands full. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're just the best things that have ever happened to us. It's insane uh, yeah. <laughs> having a toddler and a newborn, but they're pretty yeah, amazing. Really guys. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. And I work full time, so it's uh, it's quite quite the adventure right now. Oh no, kidding! So when we first started talking with you, your your newborn would, or your youngest would have been just just like a few weeks old. Yes. And now now he's three and a half weeks old yeah. you're back to work already mama you're crazy I know. <laughs> my, uh, my partner Anna stays home with our babies and so oh great um oh that's great so I, once my time ran out which I had 10 weeks full pay which was wonderful I love my company for that but once my time ran mm-hmm. out you know I had to go back so but luckily yeah. they're really flexible and you know sometimes I work from home sometimes I work a short day I just do what I can you know yeah absolutely so why don't you tell us kind of how this all began with your with your firstborn a few years ago? Yeah, so um, so I, I've actually had three pregnancies. The first one was in 2013, right after we got legally married in California. We actually found out the day after our wedding that we were pregnant. Um, it was so exciting because we really wanted to start a family. Um, but unfortunately, uh, at nine weeks, I lost that baby. So... That was really heartbreaking for us, especially since it was literally our first try uh, of insemination. Um, You know, so we thought, oh, man, this is going to be so easy. We got pregnant so quickly. And so when we lost that baby, it was devastating. And it was really hard on our marriage. And it it drew out things that we never thought 
emotions that we never thought we could have. Uh, and it, and it, and it really did scar me, uh, you know, then we went through some, some struggles in our, in our relationship. So we took some time off of trying cause it was a, just a really rough time. It really just knocked us out. And, uh, so we waited about, I think it was about a year and a half until trying again. Um, and then we conceived my first son, Avery in, 2000 I guess let's see I had him in November of 2015 and then uh so I guess when he had been conceived in February of 2015 something like that really yeah (laughs) um so we so we did at home insemination with a known donor um Mm -hmm. and because we we figured why not try that first uh rather than spending thousands and thousands of dollars uh, to get pregnant. And it turned out that, uh, it was actually quite easy. It was a little stressful, but that two week wait stressful for anybody, no matter how you're trying to conceive. So, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a quite the roller coaster. So can you tell us a little bit more about choosing a donor? And how oh you my gosh. About that? Yeah. You, you said that it was a known donor, which obviously some people are really, you know, are gravi- gravitate towards a known that. donor. And some people are very freaked out by that. Yeah. And want, you know, it's the craziest thing because I actually met my known donor through my hairstylist. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, we were mentioning that we were looking for a new donor because the first donor that we initially had the first pregnancy with just didn't work out. It was a really stressful situation with him. He wasn't very responsive. And so we decided like, let's look for somebody else. So, my stylist said, Hey, you know, I have lots of really open-minded friends. Why don't I just put the word out there and see if anybody wants to help you guys out? And Mm -hmm. they, so she did on Facebook. She said, I have these amazing friends that I have and they were trying to start a family and they need help. Um, and because we didn't financially have like thousands of dollars to spend on sperm. And, Mm -hmm. um, also we kind of wanted to know the person to kind of, to know their personality you know, and because you can look at a donor on paper, but you don't know anything about them really, right? It's all stats. And that means nothing to me. So these, these folks reached out to my stylist and they said, we're interested in meeting them. So we met up and we clicked instantly and we talked for like, I swear it was like three hours. And, uh, it was actually another couple, um, uh, a queer woman and her partner, um, and he, they were not interested in having kids, but they really wanted to help us start a family. And so I was like, this is incredible. It, it's just the craziest thing. So, so, you know, there was a little bit of fear on the whole known donor thing. Cause we were like, ah, what if we try to like, he tries to take our kid or something later on. But what we ended up doing was consulting with a lawyer and basically signing these yeah. documents that said, we won't sue you for child support if you don't sue us for our kid, you know? Yeah. So uh, we feel fairly protected because this guy really is a, he's a really decent guy and he, uh, just really wanted to help us and he, and he really has no interest in having children. So, uh, so it worked out and, uh, we signed the papers and, um, we were, initially we were like, we're only going to have one kid. And so we got pregnant and, and then, you know, after we had Avery, about a year later, we were like, no, no, we want another. <laughs> and luckily he was totally down. So that's so uh, great. That's awesome. It was, it yeah. was like, it was such a cool, like meant to be thing. And he's a really good guy. So yeah. 
Does he have any contact or interaction with your kids? No, we are friends on Facebook and he likes just about every photo because he thinks it's so cool <laughs> to see like little mini mini hymns walking around because they're like spitting yeah. images of him. So he thinks it's really fun to watch, but no, no contact. And, you know, he has said uh, in the future, if they wanted to have contact with him just to get to know him, that would be no problem. But he's just not interested in being a parent or anything like that. So, right. yeah. Well, I think that's such a special story because I think, you know, we've spoken with lots of people who, have to kind of make those choices, whether it's known donor or, mm-hmm. um, you know, in vitro or IUI. Um, and it's really difficult to make those decisions, especially when you, like you're saying, there's so many variables. Oh, like yeah. what, if, what if we, what if we do invest in this relationship and then it backfires or yeah. what if, you know, like you're saying with the first person, like they're not as vested in it as you are. Yeah. And it's just so unique to hear it go so well. And to also just have such great boundaries and good understanding that you both get to kind of be a part of the story in different ways. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we feel so blessed um, to ha- to have come across him in our lives because, you know, we just, he just helped us create the most perfect little children. And he's, he's such a like uh, considerate guy because it's the funniest thing. He emailed me, he texted me a few weeks ago and he was like, Hey, so I know you just had a baby, but I'm considering having a vasectomy. <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure if you thought you were going to go through a third. And I was like, holy crap. I've never had anybody that is be like, so considerate of me. <laughs> that is adorable. I know, isn't that the cutest thing? And I was like, you know what? Like, I appreciate that. Right now, I don't think I'm going to have any more. But I could not ask you to keep everything ready for me in the case that I was ready years down the line. So you do know what you need to do to take care of yourself. And I really appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's amazing. I know he's a good guy. And that just is a testament to his character. Like, yeah, we chose the right, the right guy. For sure. Yeah. So tell us about Avery's birth. <sighs> okay. So had a really healthy pregnancy. I did CrossFit through ter- like through 32 weeks of pregnancy until my hips decided that they weren't interested in doing that anymore. Um, and I was super healthy, uh, had no problems until the very end. I was really, really stressed out and my blood pressure went through the roof. Um, I think I just expected to ha- go into labor early like my mother did because a lot of people think that you're going to have a labor like your mom, right? My mom went into labor with both of my, me, myself and my brother at 37 weeks. So I thought, I'm going to go into labor at 37 weeks. And so I had that in my head, you know, and I was so tired of being pregnant Mm -hmm. and it was just like a perfect storm for, um, for raising my stress levels. And, and, and as I started going to the doctor's appointments at towards the end, my blood pressure just crept up and up and up. And, you know, I did weekly NSTs and, uh, those were okay, but they just couldn't they were just really worried about my blood pressure. So they decided to, um, that they'd like to induce at 39 weeks. So, so we went in and, um, I, I should mention that, uh, the, the week before, I think one of the reasons I was so stressed out was because I kept having these contractions that would just not pick up. Mm-hmm. They just would not, they would not go anywhere. And I kept going in to labor and delivery thinking, okay, this is it. This is it. And then I would get there, they put me on a monitor, and it would be like, bam, they just stop. <laughs> and so the yeah. nurses would say, okay, go walk around, see if you can get them to start up again. And I walked and I walked and I walked, and it was just not going anywhere. 
And now I know in hindsight, it just wasn't time. And I didn't know anything about prodromal labor or anything like that. I just thought, no, when contractions start, you're supposed to, that's it. You're in labor. (laughs) So, so I went in, um, 39 weeks, um, on November, I guess I went in November 16th at 10 PM and they were going to start me on miso, but I was having those contractions pretty regularly. And so they decided to just go straight to the Pitocin. Uh, so, um, started on the Pitocin and I didn't like it. I didn't like the way it felt. I didn't like the way the contractions were going. Um, and, and my body just didn't respond very well to the Pitocin. Uh, you know, I had some pretty intense contractions. And so, so I decided pretty early on to get an epidural. And when I got that epidural, (laughs) I guess anesthesia and me are just not friends because, um, Mm -hmm. I got the epidural. Well, and the first time he threaded it into a vein, uh, and I just about passed (laughs) out. (laughs) Laura's reaction was so good. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I thought. I thought I should not feel like this, right? Like this does not feel okay. Mm -hmm. So then the guy's like, Oh man, I must've hit a vein. I better pull it out. So, and if you've been through an epidural, you know, it's like the weirdest feeling ever. And so you're like, do you really have to do that again? Right. <laughs> so he does it the <laughs> second time and, um, my blood pressure just like, just plummets, just plummets. And I was like, I laid back and I was like, seeing the light you guys I was like should I be seeing light should I be feeling like I'm gonna die right now because I feel like I'm about to die and they were like no 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 and so they had to call in you know call the anesthesiologist because it was it like a minute after he left that I started really feeling not good mm-hmm. so then they I don't remember what drugs they had to give me but they had to bring my blood pressure back up and so yeah. it um it was, it was, uh, it was really scary. And I thought, well, I'm never going to get one of those again. <laughs> so, um, and e- you know, and even though I had the epidural, I don't know how well it worked because I was still in a lot of pain, you know? And so, and then once I got that epidural, uh, my son started deselling every once in a while. And especially when I was laying, you know, in one position. So I ended up laying on my left side for like nine hours and that was the only way to keep him stable um and Mm -hmm. and you know it was it was really terrifying because uh you know his he would decel and everybody would rush in like literally five or six nurses would rush in turn me on my side put in an internal um internal monitor into his head and then like it would go back up and everything was okay but, you know, then my blood pressure is like way high because I'm freaked out. What's wrong with my baby? <laughs> um, and then at one point, his um, and then at one point, his uh, internal monitor slipped out of his scalp. And so then they lost him. And we all thought that it was like, you know, that we were going to have issues with him. But then they realized what had gone on. So they went and put it back in. Um, and we just had this back and forth, back and forth for a few hours of just like trying to keep him, keep his heart rate happy. And they thought maybe he was playing with the umbilical cord or something. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, that's what was going on with the D cells, but it was just terrifying. And so, um, 
Um, the craziest, the craziest part though, of that whole thing was like, once I finally progressed, um, after having my, I forgot to mention, I had my water broken. They had to increase the Pitocin. They got the Pitocin going, but the the higher it went, the more unhappy he was. So they had to bring it back down. Um, but, but once they brought it back down, I started to progress pretty quickly. And so I progressed and it, came time to push and I was a first time mom. So the nurse was like, okay, we're going to start pushing. And I was like, okay, call the doctor. She was like, no, we won't. it'll take you quite a while to push. So just, you know, let's just see what you can do. And I was like, okay. So, um, I pushed, um, very, very efficiently. And, um, I think I probably pushed a total of 10 minutes and wow. all of a sudden Avery was crowning. And the nurse literally said, stop, you cannot have this baby right this second. You cannot, you have to stop pushing when my body's like push, right? Push. (laughs) And she said, we don't have a doctor because they did not expect me to have to, to deliver so quickly. Mm -hmm. And so my doctor, uh, who was the on-call doctor was on her way from home trying to get to me. And I said, I can't, I can't stop this baby from coming out. This is ridiculous. (laughs) And, and so, um, luckily they were able to grab the OB that was like in the hospital (laughs) and pull him in. Um, but I pushed very, very quickly and Avery was born, um, uh, in about 10 minutes of pushing. And, uh, basically the doctor was there right in time for him to come out. And then my, and then my on-call doctor came and sewed me up. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it was totally unexpected. I had, and I had some pretty extensive tearing and I, I truly believe it's because they made me stop pushing and he was just waiting there, you know, cause I don't think our bodies are, are made to stop pushing when your body feels like pushing, you know? Yeah. Oh, does I feel like I could just resonate with that story so many times, um, just as a labor nurse, but also just feeling so much for the, for a patient whose body is telling her and showing her and presenting is time yeah. and of course of course we have to try yeah. to get our ducks in a row but there's so many times yeah. when I just feel like it's yeah. more harm than good uh whether yeah. whether that's you know yeah. obviously like if, if it was related to your tearing or not it's always hard to know but more more from the, the faction of like there's so many times in the process of pregnancy and birth and labor where we aren't in tune with our bodies and are, are struggling to connect and then when people are finally like I gotta get this baby out and you're like but could you like maybe wait a little bit? That would actually be a lot better for me. <laughs> because, like they don't really like it when I deliver the baby. <laughs> I bet that's some uh, incredible uh, medical records you have to take it's care just of. Silly there. in the sense of like the, the life story of you and your child. Obviously, it's so much more important yeah. than paperwork that we fill out. But it is. Is the grounding part that I feel like I always talk about when we talk with women, but even with Melissa, like it is a job. Like this is this happens to be my job, <laughs> so it's an interesting <laughs> part where you're like, I, like, and so many moms give so much space for that. Like I know it's your job, but like seriously, <laughs> like, right? It's like we tell the baby exactly. to stop him because exactly. <laughs> he has a mind of his own. Exactly. It's, they they really do, and and just like our bodies sometimes are just. Mm-hmm. You know, so powerful. 
Yeah, it's so powerful. And and like you and like you were saying, like it's pretty rare that your body's telling you to push when you shouldn't be. I mean, that does happen sometimes. Yeah. Right. I experienced that in my first labor where I was, you know, five or six yeah. centimeters and having the urge to push, which obviously something was, you know, kind of disconnecting. For me, it was that it was back labor and, you know, whatever else. But man, it is it is so powerful and the ability to when you have the ability to just go with that and you're in an environment where, you know, everybody's on the same page and, and, you know, you don't have to, and you don't end up in a situation like that where you're like, okay, just, just ignore that extremely overpowering urge that you have and just hold on tight. It's like (laughs) that, that kind of sucks. So you only pushed for 10 minutes and he was crowning. I mean, it was, yeah, it was so incredibly fast. It was insane. I was, I was wow. amazed. <laughs> I like to, I like to uh, attribute it to my insanely strong legs. Yeah, do it. Uh, from Definitely. CrossFit, from doing CrossFit Absolutely. For attribute that. <laughs> you own that for sure. <laughs> I was like, yes, I'm a badass. You are. It sounds like it. <laughs> so then he was born without, was, was everything, was everything yeah, good then? It was perfect. It was he was great. Like there were no issues. Um, there wasn't even, I mean, there was no cord issues. It, so we don't really know what was going on during the fact it was just yeah. scary. Uh, so, and I was like, Nope, never doing that again. That was terrible. That was the worst thing ever. I don't know why mm-hmm. anybody could ever say that birth is cool. Cause that was awful. Yeah. <laughs> but then I had that perfect little guy and you know, um, for almost a year, I was like, no, we're good. One baby is great. And then he turned him on and I was like, I want another baby. <laughs> <laughs> My ovaries were like, no, you're not done, woman. So, um, yeah. So then, uh, can I go ahead and start talking about my oh, second pregnancy? Yeah, is that yeah, cool? Yeah. Or? You're in charge. Okay. 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 So, well, I know we're short in time. So, <laughs> so. I decided, uh, yeah, I, when Avery was one, that I wanted to uh, have another baby. So we started trying again um, November 2016, and we got pregnant December 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, we were hoping to get pregnant in time for Christmas so we could tell our family at Christmas, oh, how fun, you know, but that didn't happen. Got my period like the day after Christmas, which was devastating. But then um, got pregnant again. Uh, um, I got pregnant and got a positive in, I, I guess, January. And um, my, I texted my donor to let him know it worked. And he was like, man, we yeah, are I mean, that's incredible. Because like, two tries, <laughs> two wins. Like, I know. I know. And all I was doing was tracking my ovulation, like with my cervical mucus and my period. Yeah. You know, that was it. Um, and can you, you know, you don't have to get into like personal details, but for people listening who maybe don't know, what does like at home insemination look like? Oh yeah. So it's no problem. Um, basically I go online to Amazon and I order sterile, um, like medicine syringes and sterile specimen tops. And I work in Sacramento and he lives in Sacramento. So I would be like, Hey, I'm ovulating. Can I come over? (laughs) And he would already have his cups and he would have it ready for me. And I would, it was like a drug deal. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I would, he would come out to my car and um, give me the sperm. And I would go to my, um, actually, this is crazy, but my job, my locker room. And I would inseminate myself on my break. Oh, that's... Um, you know? Yep. And it was like, it worked. Obviously it, worked it did. Twice. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
yeah, it was, it was an incredible thing that it worked, but it did. And a lot more people than anybody realizes do actually do that. I'm sure. Yeah. It was like a diva top or a syringe or something like that. Like it's actually a very widespread mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> yeah. And that's so. kind of why I asked just because I know that it's maybe not something that everyone talks about. And so a lot of people don't necessarily know what would happen behind the scenes in that kind of a setting. Yeah. Um, but I think that you're right that it's, you know, it happens a lot more than, than the average Joe might realize. Yeah. I mean, you know, when there are a lot of risks that go with it, you have to really trust the person, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're going through a sperm bank, you're getting clean sperm. Yep. They've verified there's no diseases. They've removed all the things that could possibly give you a UTI. Yep. I mean, you got to really trust the guy. Luckily, ours had proof on paper that he'd been to the doctor and was clean, you mm-hmm. know? And so, because um, he was very responsible with his health. So, um, but yeah, so it is risky, uh, when you do it that way. Yeah, And you're trading but, you know. additional risk and uncertainty for this, you know, extremely reduced cost that is involved exactly. with, you know, artificial insemination. And so that's something that right. you, you and every woman in that situation has to weigh and see, you know, what is going to work for them. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I have to say real quick that I think that a lot of the fertility clinics around here, um, you know, they, they don't even, nobody mentions that as an option of getting sperm, even from a sperm bank and doing it at home. Like they only make you feel like you can either do IUI or IVF and you need to have thousands of dollars available for it. Um, you know, because when we first wanted to get pregnant, we, we were at the Sacramento LGBT center and they had some like, uh, you know, workshops on this stuff and like the California IVF, clinic came and and gave this big presentation but not once did they mention yeah you can try getting sperm from home you know from a bank and Mm -hmm. and taking it home like it's always this is these are the two options you have which is uh so i'm kid with all my queer friends and be like look it works you can do it even if you go and get it from a sperm bank you can do it and it it works it might not work the first time or the first five times but still cheaper than paying six to ten thousand dollars a session you know what i mean so Um, and, and I don't, I don't believe that having a child should be so cost prohibitive and for the queer community, unfortunately it often is. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> a really, really good point. And I think it is hard. Like you're saying it's an openness, you know, it's like you, I, I'm so thankful for people like you sharing your story, especially with others in your community, because I think that because maybe like you're saying, it's not promoted by fertility clinics or practitioners, mm-hmm. then they're, it's taboo. Almost people are like, well, that doesn't actually work or I could I, never do that. Or, and you kind of have this like walking success story. We're <laughs> like, look, my beautiful children look at this great really Very cute success stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also totally. like, these are the, but you also were smart and these are the ways in which you protected yourself right. and your children. Right. Just, yeah. It's like a running joke with people like, oh, did you actually have them with a turkey baster? You know, because that's like a lesbian thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, really? Yeah. <laughs> Straight up. <Yeah>. Yep. <laughs> it is. I mean, we've we've made that joke on the show before. And it's, you know, it is, like you said, it, it's absolutely just like a, it's like a meme, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's nice to hear someone like share it in a non meme way. Yeah. It's like, no, this is my story yeah. and it's a good story. Yeah. I'm totally proud of the fact that yeah. I saved thousands of dollars to have my children. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is, it's what you said is so true. It is prohibitive for so many people. And, you know, if this is, this is how, you know, these are your options for, for building your family yeah. and, you know, it's, yeah. 
it's important that you're able to to understand all of them. Yeah, yeah. Because so. I honestly don't think we would have been able to afford to have a baby uh, without mm-hmm. doing at home because it's just too much, you know. And I have a good job, but living in California and paying our medical bills and stuff, it's just insane. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so today's episode is brought to you by Expectful, a guided meditation and mindfulness app for your fertility, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. And last week on March 5th, we did a special episode with one of the co-founders of Expectful, where we talk about how beneficial meditation is no matter where you're at on the journey. So if you head over to expectful.com slash motherbirth, you can get an exclusive one month free trial for mother birth listeners. And if you sign up using that link, mother birth will also receive a small commission. So we thank you so much for your support. If you join this month in March, you can also participate in our 30 days of mindfulness, where we're going to be sharing our own experiences of exploring meditation. We're going to do check-ins with you. We're going to actually have some live guided meditation, and we're going to do Q and A's. That's all going to be via Facebook Live. So if you head over to the show notes of this episode on the blog or connect with us on Instagram and Facebook, you'll be able to see more details on how you can participate in that. So again, head over to expectful.com slash motherbirth and sign up for your free trial so you can start meditating and participate with us in our 30 days of mindfulness. So let's get back onto your your second pregnancy. What is your second son's name? His name is Jackson. Jackson. Okay. So... So let's um, get back to to your pregnancy and birth of Jackson. Yeah. So got pregnant uh, in December and I was really, really sick, Uh, had super ridiculous morning sickness and I was just exhausted um, for the first uh, 12 weeks, more like 15 weeks. And I think part of that exhaustion was definitely the fact that I had a little baby that had just started walking also. So I was pregnant first trimester and chasing around a little guy. So that was nuts. Um, again, my pregnancy was really normal, uh, except for the fact that I was with a new healthcare system. I was with Kaiser and these doctors were so concerned about my weight. I mean, Mm -hmm. every single appointment I went to at first was so much concern about if I was going to have a healthy pregnancy because I was, I was plus size. And Mm -hmm. I went through three doctors before I found somebody that did not mention my size. Um, which was really frustrating because I did not have any issues with my first pregnancy and I was with a different doctor, you know, network system. So, um, you know, they made me, since I was overweight, they, they required, or they requested for me to take a diabetes test, like at 12 weeks, Mm -hmm. um, to make Mm -hmm. sure I wasn't diabetic. And I wasn't, I wasn't even close, you know, I didn't even get close to failing that test. Um, and then I had to take it again every trimester, um, until I guess I, I guess I took it at 28 weeks and that's when I got a gestational diabetes, um, diagnose, diagnosis, I guess, but it wasn't actually gestational diabetes. I was considered glucose intolerant. Um, mm-hmm. and so basically, basically it was because my fasting test was a little high. So yeah. I yeah. went to the, the diabetes class and I was like, well, here we go. You know, um, it was, it was really frustrating cause I'd fought it all along. I tried so hard to eat healthy and like, be like, no, I am not going to be diabetic just because I'm overweight. Right. Cause that's what everybody thinks that like yeah. that overweight mothers yeah. are automatically going to be diabetic. And I was like, no, I was super healthy. And you feel like time. you're just proving these. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to prove them wrong. Proving them wrong. That's, right. Like want to prove them that's wrong. right. And so when that happened, I was devastated, but I was like, well, 
it's got to be bigger than your pride. Okay. This is about your kid. So let's see how we can manage it. So I went to the class, you know, the nutrition class and I took the, um, the class and learned how to eat and got on a schedule and it helped a lot. Um, I lost a ton of weight because I was eating so well all of a sudden way better than I thought, you know, than I was before. Um, and I took my blood sugars, like, I think it was like six times a day or something, which actually wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Um, but, but I could not keep my night, um, my nighttime, I guess my fasting, my fasting was always high, like just a few points above where they wanted it. And so they ended up putting me on a, um, on an insulin shot just for like a long lasting over, over the, when I was sleeping. Um, and so I just had one shot I had to give myself, which was terrifying, but then it's really, it's pretty amazing. I didn't even feel it. And so I got to be a pro at it very quickly. Um, But it definitely presented some struggles because I had to make sure I was eating at the right times and I was having enough carbs and not too many carbs. And like all of a sudden my day could go from like being great to terrible because I'm about to pass out because I'm hypoglycemic and I don't even realize it. And I even had one day Mm -hmm. where I was going to NSTs because once when you're, when you, when you have gestational diabetes at uh, Kaiser or maybe even most hospitals, Mm -hmm. once, uh, once you hit about 35 weeks, they do NSTs like once or twice a week on you to make sure baby's doing okay. And I was actually driving to the hospital one day and all of a sudden my vision got so blurry and I couldn't see the road signs and I was like oh no what is going on I feel terrible and so I got in there and I was like can you guys check my blood pressure because I feel so sick and they're like what's your blood sugar and I was like I don't of course I forgot my meter this one time they checked my blood sugar after I had like pounded like a rice krispie treat and like a Hershey's kiss right in the car to try to get just in case my sugar was low And after that, it was still only like 92. And so I think I had bottomed out pretty bad. And I luckily, I treated myself with some sugar because otherwise it probably would have been bad because I was driving. (laughs) So, Mm, yeah. But yeah, so I did NSTs twice weekly starting at 35 weeks. And um, I was was hoping really, really hard, you know, not to be – not to have any issues. And, and every time, you know, I went in there, they did an ultrasound, everything looked good. I did the NST baby was reactive. He was wonderful. Um, and so I didn't want to ever have to be induced again, but you know, Kaiser basically when you are, um, when you have gestational diabetes and you, um, have to maintain your sugars with, um, insulin, they, not require, but they pretty much request to induce you at 39 weeks. And so I was like, all right, we're going to have this baby before 39 weeks because I am not having another drop of Pitocin. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And that day never came, um, which was really frustrating. I never, I never went into labor on my own, even though I thought I was. Um, And so, and we did a lot of like a lot of preparation, like hoping for a natural labor. Like it was my will. I was willing myself for a natural labor. We went to like a cornerstone class and we hired a doula and we had all these things that we did to prepare ourselves mentally and physically for a natural childbirth because I was not going to have. And these are things, these are things you didn't do. I know. No. In your first pregnancy, right? Yeah. I did not do anything because everybody said, oh, those classes are useless. Um, You don't really Mm -hmm. remember anything 
from those classes. And I was like, okay, well, then I won't take them. But this second time around, I was like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to manage the pain. Even if I'm on Pitocin, I know it's possible. I'm going to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. So then I was really excited. I went into that birth that morning, really excited, woke up so stoked to go to the hospital to be put on Pitocin to have my baby. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, We arrived at the hospital 745 for induction. We went back to the room pretty quickly. My nurse came and got me and we were talking about my birth plan and what we were hoping for and how my doula was going to come when we felt like we were ready for her. But we knew that it could take a while because Pitocin, you know, can take a while. Um, And she was like, okay, let's get you dressed. Let's, let's get, let's get ready. Let's get this started. And so as I was walking to the bathroom, she was like, Hey, have you heard, uh, have you felt the baby much this morning? And I was like, honestly, I just woke up. Like I have a toddler I am not like, I did not get up early this morning. He doesn't usually move till eight or nine ish. So no, I haven't. And she said, well, I don't normally do this, but I think I want to check on the baby. I just want to get the heart rate monitor on the baby and check him out and see what's going on. And so I said, okay, all right, whatever. You're the nurse. Let's, let's do it. And I laid on the bed, pulled my shirt up, put the belly thing on the, the monitor and his heart rate was 60. Oh, And it was just barely there. And it was just, uh, the blood just left my entire, you know, it just, everything dropped. And I was like, I know, especially since having been in NST twice a week, I know what it's supposed to sound like, even without seeing it hurt. And I was like, oh my God, that's not good. And she said, oh, Des, this changes everything. And she said, turn on your side. Let's see if we can get this heart rate up. And it did not work. Nothing was working. So she pressed some button and called a code and everybody started rushing in. Um, And I looked over at my partner and I was like, what is happening? You know, Um, they gave me a drug because because it did go up um, a little bit. Like, I think it went up to like 130 something, but then it dropped again pretty quickly. And so they thought, well, maybe she's having contractions and the contractions are making um, something happen with the baby. So, and I didn't even know I was having contractions, but apparently I was. So they gave me this drug and they were like, Desiree, we're going to have to get you into an emergency C-section pretty quickly here. So we, you know, I, I literally, um, they couldn't, I was so nervous. I was so stressed out. They couldn't even get a, they couldn't find a vein to get an IV started on me for like five minutes because my veins were rolling or whatever. And the anesthesiologist was freaking out. I mean, it was, it was insane. My therapist, um, describes it as like we were in a car wreck basically (laughs) um because we went from like zero to a hundred in minutes you know yeah there's no lead in there's no lead up it's just no nothing and they were just trying to buy whatever time they could and like I was literally signing forms as I was rolled into the OR and so there's no time to get um a spinal and so um, you know, they rolled me in and they finally, the anesthesiologist got an, an IV after like six tries. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> and, um, and I just wow. remember saying, please don't let my baby die. Please don't let my baby die. Cause I could hear him on the monitor, right? I could hear that heart rate dropping and dropping. And, um, it was just devastating to me. And I was like, I don't know if this is, I don't know if he's going to live. And the, and the nurses were so sweet. They were like, your baby's going to make it. You're, we're not going to let your baby die. You're going to be okay. Just try to be calm. All mm. the while they were yelling at each mm. other and the doctors were like, you guys, we got to get this ready. Cause they were not prepared. Right. Because 
I guess usually when, yeah. when they think they're going to be rushing someone into an emergency C-section, it's not really an emergency. Like they've been preparing, you know, cause they can, nurses can kind of tell, yeah. but this time nobody knew. And so the last thing I said was, please save my baby, you know, and I was out yeah. and I did not know if he was going to make it. Um, and I woke up mm-hmm. and I, um, you know, after being cut open from literally from side to side, I have like the hugest scar cause they were just like, let's get this guy out, you know? And, um, and, uh, yeah. basically he was born, um, and he was unresponsive and I guess they had to revive him. Um, he had the cord wrapped around his neck multiple times, very tight. And they think that when I was having contractions, it was strangling him. Um, and so they don't know how long he was without oxygen. Um, but, uh, I guess he, mm-hmm. I guess he recovered pretty quickly, but then he was in the NICU and he was on CPAP machine and oxygen and all these things. And, um, I woke up in recovery and I was having heart problems in recovery. Um, the, for some reason I kept having, um, is it PVCs? And, uh, at the same time, it was like either a PVC or a tachycardia. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And so they were talking about putting me in the um, ICU cause they couldn't get my heart to stabilize. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was nuts. <laughs> so my poor little wow. partner was like rushing back yeah. and forth between the NICU gosh. and me oh and not knowing if I was going to die and not knowing if he was going to die. It was, it was insane. It was so crazy. So, um, yeah. That is so traumatic. Yeah. So I'm definitely seeing a therapist right now. Good. <laughs> um, I'm Good. working with her on some like EMDR stuff and brain spotting awesome. um, to try to work through the trauma because uh, it's, I was definitely like obsessed after we went home from the NICU. We were only in the NICU for a week. So uh, he recovered very well and, and did very well, very quickly. Um, but those nurses saved our baby's life you know, um, For sure. and, uh, it was just, it was a miracle. And so, but when I got home, you know, uh, it was, I was a mess. I was a really, really big mess. And I was like obsessively checking his temperature like every 30 minutes, you know, I was, it was bad. <laughs> so, well, it's such an incredibly difficult thing to go through and to, you know, I mean, there are, are many, like you said, a lot of C-sections are not really emergencies and, and what happened (laughs) with you and your son, like, like you said, like you both, you both almost died. And that is not something that you just, you don't just like brush that off and and move on. And and even though your son was in the, only in the NICU for a week, like a week is still (sighs) an eternity to um, to (laughs) mama who's just like, I just want my baby. Like, and just knowing that all of the things that led up to that were, mm-hmm. you know, were so, were so crazy. And so, you know, that there was so much at stake. And so yeah. like, you know, we talk, we've talked to so many moms who've had NICU stays of whatever length, taking a baby home from the NICU is very different than taking a baby home after, you know, a, a normal healthy mm-hmm. birth. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just, the, the sense of, of what's at stake and the sense of how, you know, like how much you're just kind of feel, feel like you're teetering on the edge of a cliff and you, and you, you don't really know what to do and you don't know like how to, how to take care of this baby that other people have been taking care of for (laughs) you. You You don't have those monitors there telling you that his pulse ox and his heart rate are okay. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at the same time, you don't have the monitors scaring the crap out of you, but (laughs) you know, it's, it's very different. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And just that expectation of, 
things were abnormal. How do you really know when things are normal? And then kind of sure. analyzing any, any kind of differentiation from that. So if you go home and you feel like things are going really normal and then something that maybe wouldn't phase you as much the first time happens, you're like, is an emergency? Are we back there? Is that where we at again? Right. Right. And that was my biggest fear was, Oh my God, we're going to have to go back to the NICU because you know what? He did lose a pound and a half between the time he was born and the time he was discharged. And the only reason that they let us go was because my milk came in. But even the next day after discharge, we went to the hospital, we went to the doctor for a checkup and he was still losing weight. And so they put us on like a two hour feeding schedule, which meant I was not sleeping. And Mm -hmm. I was just terrified that he was going to keep losing weight and that we were going to have to go back into the NICU. And it was awful. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And this is just like three and a half months ago. Yeah. (laughs) It feels like an eternity. But also it feels like yesterday, you know, it's crazy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, you're so, you're so brave for, you know, for sharing your story, especially while it's so fresh and raw. I mean, it's incredibly, incredibly difficult to do that. Thank you. You know, I, I just really wanted to, to be able to be a part of this because this, uh, this show helped me so much in my preparation for getting, for getting ready for birth. And I feel like, you know, I, I, when I emailed you guys, I said, I heard somebody say, you get the birth you're supposed to have. And I'm still trying to Mm, figure out why I had the birth I I was supposed to have, because I think I would have preferred something different. But you know, like, I think that also kind of got me through it at the same time. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate the work you guys do. And I appreciate you guys including me on this. Yeah, well, that was, I think, one of, you know, the most powerful episodes that we've done. And it was our our friend Lauren Falconer from Spirit Birth who shared that. She said, you, you know, you have the birth you're supposed to have to become the mother that you're meant to be. And it is very difficult to see that when you're in the trenches or when, you know, you've just had that, that really difficult traumatic experience. But the truth is, is that in, in some way, and for some reason, that experience is, is meant to help you become the woman and the mother that you're meant to be. And, and that you will see, even if they're not in really obvious ways, you will see the fruit of that in your mothering experience over the years. And that's yeah. something we definitely believe in. Yeah. Absolutely. I believe it too. And it was, you know, that was like a defining moment for me hearing that I was like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to be scared anymore. Whatever happens happens. And I made it through. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't regret one single moment of it. I think it made me, it changed me forever, you know? That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. So, you know, so beautifully and transparently about that experience and, you know, it's a birth can go a lot of different ways, but there's always, there's always the other side and you're home with your, with your two little boys now. Yes. We're so lucky and so blessed. We're madly in love, more in love than I ever imagined I could ever be. It's insane. <laughs> you're like, how so is wonderful. it possible to love a little human? Look this I know. Much? <laughs> Seriously. Very magical. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Des. All right. Thanks, you yeah. guys. Yeah, have a wonderful day. Thanks for sharing your story. All right, thanks. Take care. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Lara and Lisa. It's intended as general information, doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. 
You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. 